Hello everyone and welcome back to That's Lame, the equestrian podcast for horse girls from horse girls. Welcome back everyone. Alrighty then guys, welcome back to the podcast. It's another fresh week, another fresh fun things that are going to be happening. So Evie, what's been lame and sound in your week? I'll kick off with a lame to start with. Yeah, I was always meant- <laughs> looking on the bright side. <laughs> always start on a high point. No, I was meant to compete Terry on Monday and I was really excited because it was meant to be our first music class and for anyone that doesn't know what freestyle means, it basically just means a dressage test to music. So you get to choose your own music as well as like your routine, if you like. Yeah, you can like go like full hog as well. Yeah, and you can choose like any music that you want, which is great. Anyway, I was meant to take Terry on Monday and I brought him in first thing on Monday morning, bearing on mind the day before I did the whole washing the white socks, washing the tail, cleaning all my tack, getting all my shows up ready to bring him in on Monday morning and discover that he had pulled a shoe. It's like an equestrian horror story, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Bearing in mind, he hasn't pulled a shoe in the field for like a year. Yeah, but he didn't want to go to that show. He didn't want to go. Oh no, we're doing what we said that we we wouldn't do. (laughs) Oh, when they're like, oh yeah, like oh he took his shoe off because he didn't want to go to the show. No, I think Terry was just playing with horse over the. Yeah, I think he's very much feeling the change of seasons, so he's been a bit sort of. Yeah, there and everywhere. Kooky. Yeah, so I imagine yeah, he was just kooky. having a good old hoot in the field with his friends. Sometimes you just need to admit defeat, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I was like, we're withdrawing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, the heavens have told us that we're not like, meant to go to this that's show. That's it, we're not doing it again. Yeah, and I was just like, no, it's yeah. a sign like to not go. What about nice. you? Okay, so my lame is that we... It's also a sound. We had two bits of feedback from our last podcast and one was positive and one was like, you guys need to sort out your advice. Said in jest and said from a friend. But it made me go, oh, it's so funny how different listeners can interpret what we say, the advice that we give, because obviously we're not relationship experts in any way. We're not experts in anything, actually. No, we're just like regular people having a chat and sort of... Our advice is what we perceive as doing the right thing in that particular situation. It's not necessarily Bible. Yeah, and also it's just like asking advice from your friends. You don't have to take it. No, please don't take it. I feel like we need like a disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. Evie and I are just two single horse girls. We don't know what we're talking about. No. Essentially, but still keep listening to us. Listen, but just don't necessarily do what we say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that was my slight lame because to be honest, I've had a pretty good week. Your vanilla or your beige what's it called beige flag <laughs> my vanilla beige flag <laughs> so, is that yeah and then what sound is we went for a gallop this oh, week oh yeah with the horses we took Simba and Sirocco that was really good fun it was we went to a local gallop track which is seriously long and has like the white fence and everything you feel like a proper like jockey, jockey. yeah the white fence like the most pretentious jockey ever in my dressage saddle and double bridle. I posted a clip on my Instagram story in the map comments that I had people messaging me being like, this is the most sophisticated gallop I've ever seen in my life. Or like, oh wow, you're really caning it. Like all the eventers should watch out. And I I was a bit like, I swear, like that clip was just like a warm up canter. We did go fast. We, it was way faster than extended canter. Yeah. Like way faster. It was a fast canter. It wasn't a gallop, but we weren't wanting 
wanting to gallop. No, and you know our horses aren't like used to galloping. So yeah, it's so our canter for them is a gallop. Like yeah. that's them letting loose. Just let them live. But also, what but are you it was nice to, to kind of let loose, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually, something I wanted to say was it was nice to have a session that was sort of like mindless like no yeah. pressure because obviously it's just walk trot and canter following a track doesn't matter if they're on the bridle doesn't matter if it's a bit all over the place I think at one point I was sort of like swerving around because yeah, they were no. spooking at something it doesn't matter and I think from a dressage rider's perspective that was quite liberating because you're so used to going into the school and everything needing to be just right because that's what your sport requires whereas just galloping around a track like you can literally mindlessly just go and I, I really needed that for my headspace let alone the horse's headspace as well I would say though completely agree but mine wasn't quite so mindless because like Sirocco did a flying change and then he would have been on the wrong leg to turn so I had to do a flying change back because I was like I cannot do that so maybe I'm not quite that mindless yet no but anyway you need practice <laughs> I do need to practice but this leads us nicely onto our first dilemma oh exciting <laughs> <laughs> so dilemma one a listener sent in about workloads so specific workloads for specific horses as well as how we vary they, their work and how to structure the session itself. Okay, so this is going to come from the most dressage-centred mind space because that is what we do. We do not claim to know how show jumpers, eventers, showing, hackers, whatever it is that you do, we don't know about that. All we know about is dressage and also the dressage that we do, which is very free, very liberal. That was the disclaimer. <laughs> okay. So anyway, what we do is we never do more than two days on the trot in the school for starters. Point number one. Very important point. Point number two. Variation is great. Hacking is great. And when I say variation, sometimes I feel, and I feel like I might get like hate for this, Sometimes I feel that people can take it a little bit too extreme in the variation because yes, horses need variation in their lives as to humans, as does everyone, but like to an extent, our dressage horses don't need to go around and jump a course of fences. They also don't need to go on like a joy ride or, you know, do poles every single week because they are dressage horses, they're bred to do dressage and whilst a lot of other people and other disciplines view dressage as being very boring and just doing circles the dressage that we do is not like that and also these horses their mindset their breeding everything is focused around doing dressage so they get enjoyment from doing that yeah i think there's a balance to be had i mean if you want to take your horse on a sponsored ride or around a course of jumps at home even if they're a dressage horse that's fine but i don't think it's a requirement yeah you know, if you're not doing that, don't feel guilty about it, is what I would say. Yeah, and also don't condemn people that don't do it. No, I mean, for me, hacking, lunging, schooling, poles, popping over the odd fence, that's plenty of variety, especially if they're getting adequate field time as well. Yeah, it's like, for us, for our dressage horses and our experiences, that they don't need much more than that. But okay, let's go through a general week. Evie, what would you do on a Monday? So for me with Terry, who bearing in mind is a 10-year-old, warm blood, who's 
just stepped up to PSG. If I've had a day off, say on Sunday, on Monday, I usually do a loose lunge. That works for Terry just because I find that if he's had a day off in the field mooching about, it's quite good to sort of loose lunge him without any tack on just to like free his body up and loosen his muscles. That works for him. If he's particularly stuffy on the lunge, I then get poles out because I find that livens him up a bit or a jump or something. Then probably the next two days, so Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll ride in the school. Again, I never really go into the session thinking I'm going to do pirouettes today or I'm going to do flying changes today unless I've got a show coming up. I more stretch them and see how they feel and that sort of determines what I do with them. So if I stretch him in and he feels a bit, I don't know, heavy in the hand or a bit stiff then I think okay I'm gonna work on a lot of like throughness work I'll do lots of stretching and trying to get him to use his body if he comes out feeling really quite good I'm like oh okay let's crack on on some harder stuff then I usually hack and what does your hack involve so for him it depends on a like the time I have on the yard if I've got plenty of time I try and incorporate quite a long hack, like an hour. I try and put some hills in there as well. I mean, we're really lucky around here because we live on a valley, we've got lots of hills. So that's great because then I find that they're out of the context of an arena, but they're still working their body to then supplement what you want to do in the arena thereafter. So I do that. I sometimes, if the ground's right, I can to him, but I don't try and deep it that much. Like it depends on so many different factors. So Monday lunge, Tuesday, Wednesday ride, Thursday hack, then probably Friday, Saturday ride, and then Sunday off. So I usually with him, and again, I really reiterate he's a 10-year-old in peak fitness, working to quite a high level. I try to ride him about four times a week in the school, max. But that said, I vary that all the time because with him, you're always having to manage his temperament. So if he is going a bit stale in the school, so if I feel as though... He's not performing like he used to, not because he can't, but because he's just a bit fed up. Then I cut the sessions down to once, twice a week. And I did that quite a lot in the summer, actually, when it was a bit hot. I was like, oh, he's really not vibing it in the school. I'm going to try experiment and cut him down to two ridden sessions a week and just hack the rest. So I think my key advice is it depends on your horse's age, the level they're working at. But also, I really urge people not to be so tunnel vision in their routine of I do this every single week because horses aren't machines they're people so I think you have to like vary it depending on the weather or how they're feeling on a particular day or shows you've got coming up so I'm always changing it around based on what he needs and sometimes what I need like if I'm not feeling great I won't ride yeah I think that's so key so it's having a plan but having a flexible plan because like what you just said it's so weather dependent because I know a lot of people that they go no I have to school on a Tuesday let's say and it could be thundering lightning and they're like nope we're going out there and we're doing 45 minutes and it's almost like you're not going to enjoy that the horse isn't going to enjoy that because neither of you are enjoying that you're not actually going to get much out of the session either so it's almost like cut your losses and just go okay we're going to school on a Wednesday instead and you've just got to be flexible haven't you yeah and I think my argument for that that I say to people is everyone agrees that horses are so up and down and unpredictable so therefore why would you have a routine that's so militant and stringent for an animal that's so unpredictable it doesn't make sense to me No, it doesn't. Also, another point is that when we ride in the school, we would never go over 45 minutes. Oh, God. And, you know, it's 45 minutes, but that's like 10 minutes of walking at the beginning, stretching in for about 10, 15 minutes. 
you know, and walk breaks intermittently throughout, plus a cool down. I mean, you're looking at maybe 20 right. minutes max of quite hard work. Max, you know, with the walk breaks and the warming up and the cooling down. Because I see some people, I saw like an Instagram the other day being like, just a light session today, you know, to keep things easy as I'm bringing back into work. 50 minutes. Yeah, that's wrong. And it's I was wrong. like, your light session's 50 minutes? God, I don't even do 50 minutes. <laughs> no, no. You shouldn't, you know, 45 minutes max. But as well, I find that if the horse is going well or you teach them something and they pick it up straight away, then I'm like, right, that's it. Happy days. We're done. But actually, interestingly, my sister said that she was out doing a clinic somewhere and they were telling her that they have this other professional rider that comes in and rides the horses. And this professional rider goes, oh, if the horse is going well, I just keep going really so they could be on the horse for like you know upwards of an hour because they feel good so they just keep going whereas if i get on and stretch the horse in and work him and then the horse feels great i'm like happy days like yeah but job that done. really doesn't make sense because horses learn via association and reinforcement so if they're going well and then you keep working them until they don't anymore that's then encouraging them to just not do well like you want to finish on a high note in my opinion it's so like counterproductive i would also say on the other side if your horse is going really badly it's almost like you need to go okay is doing more going to benefit this is it going to make the situation as a whole better or should i stop reevaluate the situation bring him out tomorrow with a fresh mindset a fresh new day new ideas instead of like going at them at them at them because also that's not how horses learn either yeah i think sometimes for me if i'm having a really bad session if they're just not doing something correctly and that it's just not getting anywhere sometimes i just have a time out have a water break and then i pick them up and i do something that i know that they're very good at and very comfortable at and then i leave it there yeah because sometimes you've just got to pick your battles don't you and you can't be out there for hours on end it's just not going to achieve anything no but yeah circling back to like the variation is key it is key but i think as well when you see a lot of the professional like top professional yards and they say you know we we really vary the horse's work and we hack them or we do this A lot of the time they do the same hack or their hack is going around like a counter track, but I'll do it at walk. Yeah, they just mean that they vary the work as in they're not in the school every day of the week, but they're still in like a very like systematic. But also I think they mean it in that they don't do the same work in the school every day. Yeah. For example, when I had Apollo at Grand Prix, I would do canter work one day and then a mixture of canter work and trot work the next day so that every session was different it wasn't like every single time I rode him I'd go through the Grand Prix test and go through the Grand Prix movements so every day in the school was varied for him but we were still going in the school but he never got stale because we were doing different things different days because he knew so many tricks and so many movements we could do that and I think as well that's what a lot of the professionals mean when they say varied. Yeah, and I think some horses don't go stale. No, they I mean, don't. horses, they're so different. Like, But their mindset is to do dressage. You know, they don't have it in them really to want to gallop across a field and jump a hedge and go hunting. You know, it's just, it's just different. And I think a lot of other disciplines don't understand that. Yeah, and I think the listener asked as well about how to structure a session. Now, I presume that's a ridden session. And I know we touched upon that briefly, but I just wanted to reiterate that what we do is sort of walk for 10 minutes, stretch them in, 
I'd say you need to stretch them in walk, trot and canter. Yeah, if your horse isn't particularly balanced in the canter, then just trot, that's fine. But trot with the mindset of building up to being able to stretch in the canter as well. Things like that, just so the horse is moving, but you're not asking too much of it because also the horse needs to warm its body up to avoid injuries effectively. And then what we then do is what I call the second warm up is where, and we always do this in canter because canter is an easier movement for the horse in which to not get injuries. And this is with like our more advanced horses that are probably medium level and above. And you would do shoulder in, travers, leg yields, counter counter, forward and back within the canter. And then often then I'll walk again. And I like to call that my second warm up. And that's when the horse is up in a nice outline. But then you start to ask it some more questions to see how the horse is responding to you and get it thinking about moving his body in the desired frame and outline. God, we're getting so technical, aren't we? God. And then from there, then you can move on to teaching the horse something new. I do think you should teach the horse new things at the beginning of the session when their mind is still fresh. Yeah. Do whatever work that it is that you want to do and then always stretch them at the end. And walk them off sufficiently. Like, don't just stop. Don't just ground well and jump off. I know. So many people do that. Like, um, on sex education. Yeah. (laughs) There's a scene where there's a horse and she's cantering and then suddenly she just just slams the brakes and just jumps off and I was like oh don't do that I was like that's not okay (laughs) but anyway that got very deep didn't it (laughs) yeah best of luck with it my main piece of advice just like hitting on the key points is variation depends on your horse but also don't overthink it it's okay to do something different on certain days Like we said, horses are so unpredictable. They throw things at you that you're just like, oh, wow. And you've just (laughs) got to keep going. So, yeah, I wouldn't overthink it too much. As long as your horse is doing a little bit of something five or six times a week or however much is required for what you're doing, then that's absolutely fine. And as long as they're happy, I mean, and the rider's happy as well. I know it's happy wife, happy life, but happy pony. Yeah, happy happy horse, happy horsewoman. (laughs) that got so deep we got very technical very professional very mature and wise especially when um, we were like disclaimer we don't know what we're talking about and then we were like (laughs) when you work your horse (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway moving on to dilemma two which is more just an open discussion a listener sent us in a question saying that they're horse was getting a bit overweight and they weren't sure what to do and any tips or advice on how to get them to lose weight i can relate to this dilemma terry so my horse is a very your horse is called terry no one knew (laughs) no one knew (laughs) sometimes people um message me on instagram who i don't know but i've just met them virtually and i'm sort of like taken aback when they know that my horse is called terry i don't know why because i post about it all the time and i talk on the podcast about it but sometimes i think this is so tangent and not what we're just talking about but when you post things online you you don't see them going anywhere no i don't think i don't i don't think anyone cares or like really reads it no you know but then actually people are like oh how's terry and i'm like whoa how do you know him <laughs> anyway terry's a very good doer and when i first bought him as well he was derby so i very much relate to this i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i think in a way having a good do is a bit easy it's certainly more cost effective yeah but for me 
I would think that obviously workloads are important, but this person specifically wrote in that they can't work the horse that much. We can't go into that line of inquiry at least. So what I think is obviously feeding. Terry is on two cups of low-cal balancer, morning and evening. So four cups a day total low-cal balancer. That's it for feed. And he's technically a PSG horse now. You know, I think sometimes as long as they're getting the vitamins and the minerals from the feed, balancer does the job. Yeah, so that's feed-wise. And we know how to feed our horses because we have a nutritionist from Bailey's Horse Feed. Shout out Lorna, love you. We should get her on. We definitely should. So we have a nutritionist who comes around, looks at all the horses' diets, which I think is so... Super important. Yeah. Not only is it cost-effective in this cost-of-living crisis that we're living (laughs) in at the moment, because you could be feeding your horse something that they absolutely do not need, and you could save yourself 20 quid a month by cutting it out. Yeah, and there's a reason why there are equine nutritionists. I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, you can read the feed label and be like, oh, yeah, I think that might work for my horse, but we don't know the ins and outs of like the different chemical reactions and like how it responds in the gut and stuff like that and there's a reason why there are people for that job yeah and we have Lorna up I would say twice a year and she looks at all of the horses how their weight is going normally in the winter and the summer so that you've got like a clear comparison and gives them a diet and sometimes we tweak the diet depending on like energy levels work levels how they're looking how they're feeling what we want to achieve as well I think that's very important and I think people would be quite surprised that our horses really don't eat that much because what we're feeding them is all they need yeah and you know again it goes on the type of horse that you're dealing with we've got some that are on four cups a day of low cow balancer and others that are on you know four cups a day of performance balancer this mix fiber beat because they're naturally skinny so i think it does depend on your horse but obviously this person in this dilemma is dealing with a chubby horse so yeah like balancer is enough okay another point to me is and i feel like a lot of people do this is their horses are out in the fields on grass so i was told before that if you can go into the field with a pair of scissors and cut enough to fill a plastic bag within an hour that is absolutely plenty of grass for your horse yeah because i think some people seem to forget that the grass grows yeah by the second you know it might not look like there's much in your horse's field but it is growing and also they're probably if they're a good doer they're eating it Yes. So as soon as a blade shoots out of the ground, it's gone. So if that's what they're doing, for instance, our horses are out overnight, so they're out from at least 4pm until at least 8am the next morning the majority of them will be eating non-stop throughout that time so then when they come in the stables i feel perfectly fine leaving them with no food like nothing to forage on because i'm like you're you've been eating for a very long time and i know there is a lot about gastric ulcers and how you want to prevent them by encouraging 24 7 forage but i read before that horses only need to eat for 16 hours of the day so if for instance, Sirocco is more of a good doer. So he comes in off the field and I, for instance, will give him like a few strands of hay or haylage over the course of like three hours. And he's absolutely fine. Never once considered he's had ulcers or anything. Because I think if you take them off of the field and then you're giving them more food in the stable when they're stationary and they're not actually having to move and work for it, then you are just encouraging that horse to get fat. Yeah, and I think with Terry, for instance, what I've started doing sometimes is 
because as well he eats food at a quick rate and as soon as he doesn't have it and he sees me he's tap dancing you know in the stable <laughs> going feed me feed me feed me so what I've started doing actually is almost like handfuls like every so often yeah okay. that's what I do yeah I'm like oh have a little bit so I'm almost trickle feeding him and obviously that's really ideal but I'm also I do this for a living I'm on the yard all day and not all of our listeners will have that on the yard you know they might just be in a stable you might not see them until the afternoon then I would recommend they still only need a small hay net if they're really fat I would also, for from a dressage training point of view, I would never use a hay net. No, hay nets never suck, ever. Don't they? It's so bad for their top line and their back. If you watch a horse pulling hay out of a hay net, you will see their muscles working so hard in their neck, especially if the hay net is up high. It's just so counterproductive to what we are trying to achieve as dressage riders. Yeah, I personally hate hay nets, but I don't know how it works on livery yards because if you're paying someone to put, you know, they might be like, well, no, you need to leave the hay net outside the stable. I don't know. Anyway, I would say also you can get those hay balls yeah those are really good so your horse is almost doing a little bit of physical exercise trying to get their food out but also almost slows them down from just being able to gobble it up all in one go so if your horse is stabled you could always do that with regards to the field like we were saying if you've got a good doer don't put them in a field full of grass if you need to move them at some point because they've completely eaten all of their food make sure a horse that isn't a good doer is on it for a few days to eat it down first before then moving them over or strip graze them yep strip grazing is very good very useful I I found a good way of controlling it is rugging don't yes over, if you've got a good doer don't over rug them because they no. don't need it i mean terry's naturally quite a hot horse anyway but i think that comes part and parcel because he's a good doer he's got a lot of insulation so what i find is i really don't rug him up that much no and i saw once before i think it was on a yard that i knew someone at the yard or something and this horse was diagnosed as being very laminitic so that is when they get too heavy for their well in general when they get too heavy for their front legs and the lamini in their feet starts moving and it's incredibly painful and a lot of horses are lost that way and this horse was diagnosed as being laminitic and it was the middle of winter and what they did is they fully clipped the horse and turned it out and i i remember it was like a big controversy because other people on the yard were like that's so cool it's so bad blah blah but it was the only way to save the horse because it needed to shiver the weight off which seems so cruel but it saved the horse's life yeah and also again like going back to when they would have been in the wild and things like that they don't necessarily if they're naturally hot horses then they don't need rugging i mean people are the exact same you know my dad for instance walking around in the winter in a t-shirt whereas i'm sat there you know thermal vest jumper coat hat still cold well body fat is there to keep you warm yeah and also i think everyone's thermostat's different and it's the exact same for horses and if you ever look in the field at ours even say during winter or whatever you'll notice how they're not all in the same rug because they're all completely different so. Yeah, we don't go, oh, look, it's, you know, five degrees. Everyone in, you know, a 300 gram rug. We go, oh, Simba's a lot colder than Sirocco is, so he's going to need more than he does. Yeah, just feel them. Literally put your hand under the rug and, you know, how do they yeah. feel? And I think sometimes it's hard with a good doer because there's a lot of guilt that comes with it, especially if you've got other horses on the yard that are being fed loads or are rugged up to the hilt because you're you're thinking, oh my God, am I neglecting my horse? My horse isn't eating like out of a wheelbarrow all day, every day, or my horse is out there without a rug on at the moment and he's got a summer sheet you know you want to like sort of copy but that's just not how it works and I think if your horse is unhappy you'll be able to see it visibly and you just need to go by what they need themselves not what someone else is doing just what they need 
Yeah. Okay, so for this particular dilemma that they can't work the horse, I would suggest, if you can, a track system or if you move the horse so yeah. that it can have a track system. Strip grazing, restrict grazing yeah. a little bit. And also get a nutritionist out to really assess what it is that you're feeding your horse because it might be that you're going, oh, I'm just giving him a handful of chaff that is full of so much sugar, you might as well be giving him a packet of Haribo's when you should be giving him rice cakes. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's just horses for courses and I think there's so much knowledge out there about how to do these things. Obviously, uh, you know, Facebook knows way more than we do. Yeah, I mean, it's a three-point answer, really. It's feed as in hard feed, rugging and grazing if you can't factor in workload. That's what I do with Terry. But yeah, good luck with it and let us know if any of our options have been useful for you. Yeah, I hope Equine Weight Watchers (laughs) goes well. general chit chat time it is olympia week well it will have been olympia will have finished by the time this comes out but it um not olympia <laughs> hoys oh. I wondered, that's why i looked so confused my mind's already on christmas <laughs> oh i wish it was christmas oh i love christmas oh, i wish it could be christmas no that's not saying let's not sing. Let's I not do that. oh wow well, wish i was a punk rock <laughs> when this comes out hoys will have just happened and i feel like hoys which is horse of the year show is something that's always advertised and I just never go. I miss it every single I've never been. No, I've never been. I think if you're horsey you don't go. Like if you're really if you're oh, really doing it. If like if you're doing horses day in day out for a profession you don't go to You horse, don't go. Unless you're this competing is, there. That, this is the point that I wanted to get at is just that is that if you're a professional it would take a miracle for you to actually get there. It really would. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not it's unless you're running the yard, like it's I know. so hard, like to. to it's pre, just not going to happen. To pre-plan <laughs> buying tickets, putting it in the diary because you have to buy tickets in advance as well. Yeah. Putting it in the diary, finding cover for the yard, sorting your horse out, bloody finances to get there. It's just not going to happen. Outfit is it? as well. Like I don't have an outfit for hoys. No. So I'm not going. You'd be there whilst messaging your clients, yeah. you know, about your horses oh, yeah, at like home. <laughs> yeah. And that leads me on to what I want to talk about in equestrian influences. Because you and I have had this conversation before in that I don't actually know any equestrian influences that are also professional riders to a high level. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Other than us, obviously. It's tragic, isn't it? No, I agree, actually. More amateur, like, lifestyle equestrian is the sort of equestrian influencer type i would say yeah and not taking anything away from them because what they do is a full-time job oh yeah we're not like hating on them or anything it's just an interesting observation it is and i think that is why there aren't any equestrian influencers that are full-time professional riders to a high level is because you can't do both i mean we find this doing this hard i mean this is a real ball ache doing this (laughs) hard day on the other i mean we enjoy it but it's a lot of sort of planning and i mean it's great but you know it's really hard but at the same time this is our added extra there's no extra time to be pre-planning and booking tickets to horse the year show or olympia we're not going to get there either sorry yeah and actually when i was on the young professionals program we had a workshop on social media Media, and they were talking about obviously how important it is for sponsorship and all of that sort of stuff and they were saying I think you'll notice that it's the amateur riders or the people that don't do it professionally as in for a living that have more followers in general 
Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's so true. And they were like, it's because professionals just don't have the time slash don't make the time because they're teaching, they're doing their horses, they're doing the yard. And it's really hard to be like, I mean, can you imagine if I wrote Terry and was like, oh, Joanna, can you come down and film my session for like 45 minutes? Yeah, so it's like, no, no you're doing your own time. horse. So then like, I can't film it myself. So then I end up getting no videos or any or content. Or the riders that can do that, they only have one horse. Yeah. So they have all day to get their horse ready and then ride the horse and they have someone there to film it for them and then they have the rest of the day to edit the video and upload it and post it and they get the bulk of the social media following. Gosh, the amount of times we're like, oh, you know, send each other videos and be like, God, that video would be great to make. Never made it once, have we? No. Never, ever. We've only done one, which is the leg up video. And that's because Ben Clark came for that photo shoot at like seven o'clock at night. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we were shooting until like 9pm, weren't we? Yeah. But yeah, it's just an interesting observation. And if anyone knows of any real professionals that are also equestrian influencers, please let us know. I mean, what is the definition of an equestrian influencer though? I don't know. I think you can just... Because you've got lots of professionals with loads of followers like hundreds yeah. and thousands of followers but do you mean as in like they do meet and greets and yes. stuff like that that is what i would class it's more as... image based rather than just like yeah yeah the ones that go to like horse of the year show and things like that i think as well the term question influencer that means you have a youtube channel oh okay that's what it feels like in my head yeah for me it's just people that are like they do meet and greets and we could do a meet and greet no one would, <laughs> no mean, one would turn no up, one would turn up but... me and joanna will be heading on terms be there every square <laughs> it's just an interesting observation really isn't it and anyway we'll look forward to watching olympia from home in the comfort of our own house always oh for, damn it i just oh, i'm not gonna get it right am i no no <laughs> end of another episode sad when we get to the end isn't it actually (laughs) yeah but anyway thank you guys so much for listening this episode that's lame we hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week love you bye bye